Well, last week we, we saw clearly from that first portion in Mark that the gospel is Jesus Christ. The gospel is God's work of salvation through Jesus Christ. The gospel is Jesus coming to reign. He said, to the third hole, um, it was a pretty bad job. Um, I started drilling, the drill moved. I started again, the drill moves. And me, Dad, you've mucked them all up, but that one is the worst. And to make it worse, as people came into our house and he went to show them his bedroom, which I thought he was very proud of me with this lovely new room, what did he do but pull the picture off to show them the mucked up job that I had made of the wall? Some people have no loyalty. But if I'm honest with myself, my only hope of ever having neatly drilled holes and perfect hanging pictures is actually if someone else comes along and does it for me. I can try, but my best attempts are going to be far from perfect. And so it is with the kingdom of God. Our best attempts will never get us into the kingdom of God. But we need someone to come and do that for us. Jesus came to do what we could never do for ourselves so that we could enter the kingdom of God, so that we could come under the reign of King Jesus and even enjoy his blessings. This morning we look at the baptism and temptation of Jesus. Look at verse 12 with me there in Mark 1. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, which actually is somehow an an anticlimax from the build-up in the previous verses. We thought a lot last week about God's chosen king is coming, and he's coming to set up his kingdom and to bring joy and peace. But then just like that, Jesus comes from Nazareth of Galilee, Valley Nowhere, insignificant, unpopular, but actually perhaps very fitting in showing the humble means by which the kingdom of God would come. But Jesus came and he was baptized by John in the river. Now, if you look a few verses back, you will see that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. So maybe like me, the first question you ask is, well, If it's a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins, why did Jesus need to be baptized? Surely he was the perfect son of God. Well, Mark does not answer this. It's just given as a matter of fact that Jesus was baptized. But Matthew does answer this question for us. In Matthew 3, we see that John was protesting to Jesus. And and basically he was saying, you need to baptize me, not the other way around. But Jesus answered him and he said, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, by righteousness we mean obedience to God. Okay, perfect obedience to God. And again, when when we looked at Malachi last, last week, he pointed us forward to judgment day. And if we are going to be judged not guilty by God and enter his his perfect rest, then we need righteousness. We need perfect obedience to God. Yes, we need Jesus to die in our place. 
to pay the price, to take the punishment for our sin. But actually, we need more. We need righteousness. We need perfect obedience to God. And because none of us are able to live in perfect obedience to God, we need someone, namely Jesus, to come and live that perfect life for us. You may know that Jesus is sinned. We all sinned. We were born with sin in our hearts, unable to not sin, unable to live in perfect obedience to God. But Jesus Christ came to live by the Holy Spirit in perfect obedience to God. And by faith in him, his perfect obedience becomes our perfect obedience. The second Adam then, Jesus Christ, becomes our representative before God on Judgment Day. And so we have all we need. And we thought too last week that that repentance... That word repentance means turning from sin and turning to God. Or we could say turning from disobeying God and turning to obey God. So we could say in a sense that that Jesus' baptism of, of repentance was a baptism of obedience to God, his Father. It was obedience to fulfill all righteousness, to be obedient. Jesus was baptized. And we need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So Christ's righteousness becomes ours. But also he takes our sin. See, it's, it's so poignant that as sinner after sinner um, came to John for baptism, then along came Jesus and, and stood in the water. Jesus, who had no need to be baptized because of his own sin, but, but stood in the place of sinners, as it were, Symbolic that he would take their sin upon himself. It's interesting in Luke chapter 12, um, Luke refers to the cross as Jesus' baptism. That is where he would be baptized. We could say fully immersed in the sins of the world. Taking the place of sinners and allowing them to take his righteousness. So Jesus was baptized, showing obedience and identifying with sinners. Well, Mark records three things that happen at Jesus' baptism. We see the heavens tore open, the Spirit descended, and a voice from heaven spoke. The first thing, Jesus saw the heavens being torn open. This this act speaks to us that that what is happening here is is to do with God. God is acting. God is moving. What is happening is the work of God. In Isaiah 64, uh, verse 1, we read, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And we know there are other prophecies where God promised that he he himself would come. And here we see the Son of God has come from heaven, God's presence on earth. Just before Jesus begins his public ministry, the heavens tore open. He was affirmed as the Son of God, bringing God's presence to earth. 
And if we fast forward a bit and look over to Mark 15, the end of Jesus' public ministry, we see there Jesus breathed his last, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and the centurion affirmed him as the Son of God, who had now brought man back to the presence of God. You see, those key questions in Mark, who is Jesus, what has he come to do, and then what is our response to that? And it's like at at the beginning and the end, almost as bookmarks, we see Jesus declared as the Son of God, and then in between is, is the evidence or the proof that, yes, he actually really is the Son of God. So the heavens tore open. Secondly, the Spirit descended on him like a dove. To quote Isaiah again, Isaiah 11. God promised a righteous one would come and the Spirit of the Lord would rest upon him. Isaiah 42, referring to the Lord's chosen servants. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. Furthermore, Isaiah 61, The spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. The God's servant, the man Jesus, is, is anointed or set apart by the spirit of God for God's service. And so what we read following this passage and all that follows in the life and ministry of Jesus is one living fully and completely by the Spirit of God in obedience from heaven. And to dear my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And we can see here so clearly and so beautifully the Father, Son and Holy Spirit working together in the Gospel. We read in Psalm 2, a psalm of David. God promises his anointed, his chosen one, he will reign over all. We read in Psalm 2, verse 7, The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or as the NIV reads, Today I have become your father. We turn to Second Samuel, it's made more clear to us. And what the psalm is saying. And in Second Samuel, God promises to one of David's offspring that he would establish his throne forever. God says, I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. And here is Jesus, descended from David, the son of God and his kingdom is being established forever. God said, you're my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So here we have the baptism of Jesus. And we see the son of God is empowered by the spirit of God. And affirmed by God the father that he is in fact God's chosen one. And we read on immediately, the spirit drove him out into the wilderness. I think what strikes me initially here is that living by the Spirit of God is no easy task. It's not a bed of roses. It doesn't always make life seem happier and better and greater. 
I mean, Jesus was led to wild animals. He was led to a place of isolation and, and danger. And the 40 days in the wilderness echoes the 40 years and the Israelites spent in the wilderness being tested but failed. And here again we see that Jesus comes as the second Adam. That he succeeds where the first Adam fails. Now if we go back to Genesis and we think that Adam was living under God's rule. He was in God's kingdom. He was enjoying God's many blessings. He was enjoying the beauty of all that God had created. The sights, the tastes, the sounds and so forth. But we know the story. Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve, primarily to doubt the word of God. They gave in to temptation. They disobeyed. They were banished from the garden, from God's kingdom. They came under Satan's reign by obeying him. And so they were experiencing God's curse and judgment. But Jesus came to reverse that curse. He came to make a way back into God's kingdom. And for Jesus to do this, he would have to overcome Satan. You see, Jesus came to fight a spiritual battle. And that is what we see here in Mark chapter 1, verse 12 and and 13. But notice, it's worth noticing the difference in circumstances between Adam and, and Christ. Adam was tempted in God's perfect world. Jesus was tempted in God's ruined world. Jesus was isolated. He was fasting and starving, as we know from the other Gospels. He was alone. And again, from the other Gospels, we know that Satan attacked who Jesus was. The very point that Mark's trying to to get across. Satan says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, then command these stones to become loaves of bread. And if you are the son of God, then throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. In other words, he's saying, are you really God's son? But Jesus indeed proved himself to be the true son of God, the true Israel, the perfect second and last Adam, as he gave complete loyalty to his father God. He gave diligent obedience to God and so defeated Satan. And now that Satan is defeated, Jesus could proclaim, verse 14, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. You see, by believing in who Jesus is, joy the blessings of God. Blessings that we can know now, but blessings that will only fully be experienced when Jesus Christ returns. And what is the appropriate response to this good news? Well, of course, it's to turn away from your own way of doing things, to acknowledge that you cannot live the way you need to live to enter the kingdom of God. To recognize that Jesus is the only one who has lived perfectly. And to rely on him and him alone to be brought into God's kingdom. I want to briefly make two points by way of application. 
First is this, when we are relying on Jesus, whom God is well pleased with, we too can know the pleasure, the delight, and the approval of God. Do you know, we look to many things for approval. Often that we might have peace. Normally we base this in some shape or form on our own performance. So perhaps we look to ourselves for approval. And we may give this approval to ourselves through the tasks we achieve in a certain day, and perhaps through our success as a parent or another role we have, perhaps our achievement at work, perhaps even our success at godliness on any given day. And if you're prone to do this, you will know that we quickly fail, and then we feel condemned, we feel guilty, and even anxious. Or perhaps you look to others for this approval. Perhaps we look to others in our family or our friendships or or the workplace to, to recognize us for those things that we do. To make much of us. Perhaps we look to them to do things for us, to serve us, and that's how we, we feel approval. And when these things are in place, when those things happen, well then, we have peace from their approval. And But when it doesn't happen, we don't have peace. And of course they too will fail us because while we're looking to them to be something to us, they were never meant to be our saviour. But we do have a saviour, Jesus Christ. And when we are trusting in him, we have, we have God's approval upon us. We have eternal peace with God. And this peace does not come and go because it's not dependent on our performance, but it's dependent on the perfect, never-failing life of Jesus Christ. Second point I want to make is this. Obedience to God is possible even when it is tough. Obedience to God is possible even when it is most tough. Jesus is our righteousness, and that brings us peace. But he's also our example, and that brings us motivation for living. When the heat of life is on, when there's job pressure, when there are family problems, we feel weighed down with stress, worry, and so forth, we are still able to be obedient to God. And it's often when the heat of life is on that the devil will tempt us. He'll want us to doubt our identity as children of God. He'll want us to to, to doubt the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That same spirit that Jesus lived by. That enables us to be obedient. He'll want us to think that, that we're alone, that we're fighting spiritual battle alone, merely in the power of our own will and determination. But God does not ask us to fight temptation alone. He has given us the Holy Spirit, the very presence of Christ with us, that we might have victory over Satan every day. And so we tackle each day with confidence. Each day we face a battle, but we face that battle with confidence. 
And when we fail, we do not despair. We do not wallow in guilt. But we rest again in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And again, we know the approval of God and we press on in the kingdom of God. Let us pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you again for for your gospel, the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his perfect life on our behalf. We thank you that too he was willing to die in our place, taking the punishment for our sin. And Father, as we come to remember this again around your table. Our Father and God, we give you thanks for Jesus Christ. May you warm our hearts this morning. And as we proclaim Christ again, may we go on from here with thanks, with humility, and with confidence in who Jesus Christ is. We pray in his name. Amen.